This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, not in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, but in central Auckland. I'm in the Auckland offices of Eastern Institute of Technology. I'm in the office of Sherry Freeman. Kia Sam. Kia How was your bubble life? At the moment, it's fantastic, of course. We've uh, got quite... Uh a lot of freedom and flexibility to move around, but that wasn't the case, um, obviously, earlier in the year. Where were you during the lockdown? Uh, So I was at home uh, with my husband and my uh, grown son, um, and uh, we were all trying to work in uh, a very unusual space that we're not used to. (laughs) We spend very little time together normally, currently, um, but here we were forced into... Uh, spending long days and weeks together. And not only working from home, surviving a pandemic. Yes, yeah. Um, And and watching everything that was going on around that, um, realising that it was a scary time. And it wasn't just scary for myself, it was was scary for a lot of people, our students especially. Um, Students were concerned for their own safety and each other's safety. But, of course, they had families um, in countries that were not coping as well as New Zealand was with the pandemic. Um, And they were uh, very, very concerned about their loved ones that they'd left behind. Mm. So not only did you have students here that that you were having to look after because they were, that's what we do. Yes, in situations that you couldn't do the normal things that you would be doing for them. You, if something was happening normally, you'd bring them together and have a chat. Yes, exactly. But those sorts of things couldn't happen. Or give them a hug. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing how helpful that can be. Um, look, timing for us um, at the start of the year was very difficult. Um, the announcement um, that we were going into lockdown was on Monday, the 23rd of March. I remember that date so well, one o'clock. Um, because that was actually the first day of our term, of our year. So we had had uh, students arriving pre the 23rd of March, and if you remember, it seems a while ago, uh, the borders were closing, so flights were stopping, uh, stopped coming in. Um, and also students that had managed to get in were, were required to self-isolate. So therefore, even though we weren't in lockdown prior to the 23rd of March, those students weren't able to actually come to campus. So they were contacting us and had arrived and were stuck in their flats or wherever they might be staying, um, trying to uh, settle in, I suppose, to a very strange country. And without being able to leave their accommodation, 
there were simple things like well, even trying to get food and toiletries um, was very difficult um, because they also couldn't open their bank accounts. Um, so if, you know, a little bit about international students when they arrive in New Zealand, they, they put money into a, an account which they then have to open once they arrive here, but of course they couldn't get into the bank to do that. Um, so how frustrating is that? We've got money that you know is available, but you can't actually access it or spend it when you need it. So a very strange country and getting stranger. Very, very strange. And feeling so isolated. Um, and, of course, watching what's happening not just in New Zealand, but, but offshore as well. Um, so some very, very um, upset students. And there was some also unusual behaviour um, within New Zealand. So there were, Because we didn't know what we know now, uh, you know, some accommodation providers didn't want international students staying with them. And so students who had, in some cases this was private accommodation that they'd organised to come and stay with a family, um, they didn't want international students staying with them. Um, so that fear of having somebody else arrive and, and come into their bubble, as we now call it, um, was so threatening for them that they, at the last minute, said, no, you can't come. So if you've just arrived in New Zealand and everything's shutting down, what, what do you do? Where do you go? Uh, obviously, we're here to help, and we were able to place them. And there were some really great providers um, here in Auckland that... Um, made themselves available and, and looked after the students, uh, helped us to look after them, um, which was great. So you had to have a massive spike of, of pastoral care of looking after the, mm. the, the students, made difficult by the fact that you couldn't do the things you normally do mm. for them. Did you say, okay, let's just not worry about teaching for a while, or did you say, right, we're you know, teaching through this? <laughs> Well, that's the difficulty, I suppose. You've got, you've got two lots of students. You've got those that have been in New Zealand who are continuing their studies, who are actually you know, coping relatively well with the situation. And coping for them was trying to have some sort of normality. And so that meant they just wanted to get started. You know, we don't want to um, be delayed by a day, two days. Um, we just want to get on with it. And then you've got the students who had just arrived, who... Um, didn't really even know EIT, us as, as people, um, really, really struggling and probably not ready to get started. Um, but we made the decision to, to just kick on. Uh, we, we didn't stop for a heartbeat. Um, as I say, Monday we did actually have classes on, on site. At that time, um, Auckland University, AUT um, and some of the other larger providers in Auckland had already gone online. So they'd already told their students that you're not coming to campus and we're going online. We hadn't made that decision at that point. We were going to go online on the Wednesday. But the announcement came early. Um, so we had students on campus on that Monday morning. Um, I had gone round the students on Monday morning saying that we were going to go online on Wednesday, so prepare for um, working, learning from home. Um, and then I went round in the afternoon to say, actually, we're going online now, so you can all pack up and go <laughs> home. I think at that stage, my focus moved from the students, as important as they are, um, but it was important that they return to their home bubble and start getting settled. Um, and I did say to them at the time, this could be longer than we anticipate. Um, so uh, prepare for, you know, I was, I was sort of saying six to eight weeks. You know, if it's shorter, that would be great. Um, but let's prepare for the long haul here because we just don't know. 
Um, so we made sure they were looked after and, and sent off. Then the focus came on the staff. Uh, now they also had families that they're worried about. They had children at school. They had their own personal needs that they were needing to think about, not just their job and their students. Um, but I was incredibly proud of my team. Um, they took it in their stride. First things first, let's just get ourselves um, organised and sorted work-wise um, and then we'll kick off home and, and start taking care of that. So at 1.30 we all came together um, and it became a learning experience. At that time we had no stop take of our staff capability when it comes to using technology for online. You know, can they use Skype, can they use Zoom? And even if they could have a meeting on Skype or Zoom, you know, could they actually deliver learning through that medium? Um, so we just all came together. Um, we happened to have a lot of food on the premise <laughs> at the time, which was going to be thrown out. So we actually threw all the food, um, and including we, we had a few um, beers and wines as well, to be honest. We just put it all out there. Um, and we just sat around in, a social, in social groups, and we started sharing with our laptops. Um, so I started setting up a Zoom meeting and inviting the three people that might be at my table. And we would start actually conducting um, fun classes, sharing whatever we could, sharing our screens, and then taking turns. And then uh, our group would join another group that were, were practicing. Um, it was non-threatening. It was kind of fun in a very scary time. Um, but I'm confident to say that by the time each of those staff members left that afternoon, they were capable of connecting with their students, um, delivering their learning, uh, sharing their screens and, and information, allowing students to share their screens, which is actually quite a giant learning curve in a matter of hours, to be honest. Um, again, incredibly proud. The next thought for me was, okay, so now you know how to use the technology. Do you actually have the ability at home to use the technology? I've no idea about my where my, my staff's living conditions. Um, so I, again, in thinking that this could be longer than just a few weeks, said to the staff that you're going to have to get yourself set up to work from home and you're going to have to be comfortable in that environment, um, in a work environment at home which we're not used to. So then it became a case of everybody helping one another to bundle up their desks. So that's <laughs> take the screen screens if you need to, take the laptops, make sure you've got the cables if you need the docking station, um, right down to even chairs. You know, I said to them, what are you going to sit on? Oh, I've got a dining room chair. Was that really comfortable enough to be sitting in for, you know, long periods of time? So um, by the end of the day, it, it looked like someone had actually um, come in and robbed the place. Um, because it was, um, and, you know, I did, I did think at the time, it all happened very quickly. You know, yeah, well, there was no register of what was going out. But that's when you just trust your team. I trust my, my staff fully. Um, and I had no doubts that whatever they took would come back. I didn't need to record it. Um, and... Uh, it took a while because some staff had to go home and get their car, of course, and, and bring it in. It was a bit mm. too much to, to fit on the bus or the train. Um, so it was a long day. But uh, by the end of the day, yes, everything, everybody was at home set up. And by 8 o'clock Tuesday morning, we were online. I'm going to put here the first of your music choices, 
Abbott Dancing Queen. Why this one? <laughs> uh, well, my staff will tell you I, I, I love Ebba. Um, there's, always a, a, there's, there's always a good time to play Ebba. Um, and when the going, going gets tough, um, sometimes I'll just sing. And normally I'll just sing a, an Ebba song. Um, that normally breaks the, the tension and <laughs> gets a laugh. I'm not a good singer, by the way, um, so that, that also doesn't go down too well. Um, but hey, got to enjoy the song.
as you said, a big part of the teaching remotely is not just the technology. It's in some ways a different way of thinking. Lots of the things that we would normally do in a class, we we can't do. Did you have to come up with instructions or sort of guiding principles for the for the staff on how they should do the interactions? You know, at some places they said just video the lectures. Yeah, and, and we'll do the interaction somewhere else and other places have said actually what's more important is the interaction the learning will follow along how did that work? Yeah well pretty quickly we realised while everybody was stuck in their bu- bubbles um, that connection through the classroom was really really important both for the lecturer but also for the student group uh, so we, we were quite clunky I'd say to start with with just presenting PowerPoints and talking to them and maybe asking questions, we quickly realised that that form of learning wasn't really going to be successful with the students. So then the next learning phase started, which was the breakout rooms. We, we hadn't really, um, on that first, first afternoon, hadn't really gone into depth with that. Um, so in that first week, we, we started some... We actually... Our, Education Development Centre at EIT Hawke's Bay uh, developed some uh, very short, sharp lessons on how to uh, to form breakout rooms in Zoom um, and how you could actually lo- use that effectively. And one of our um, associates in Hawke's Bay, uh, Dr Tom Hartley, also uh, did some uh, online face-to-face classes with the, the team and recorded that so that they could use that sort of uh, modality. Um, that, that, that was the start, I suppose, of realising that we couldn't do what we did in the classroom and we had to do it differently. Um, and I also realised that staff were experimenting with their students in a good way uh, and having some, some good success with how they were moving from their face-to-face to online. Um, so we needed to capture that and also start sharing that with each other. Um, so that's when the uh, the Friday afternoon session started. So three o'clock on Friday, most of us uh, didn't have anywhere to go, of course. Um, so that became our chance to socialise with each other because that was important. We were we were a co- we were a family here, and we were starting to drift apart as we were stuck in our our bubbles. So that became a chance for us to just come together. Um, First of all, it was quite interesting seeing each other's spaces, places, <laughs> let's be honest. It's kind of like, oh, that's where you live. Um, and then that moved into you know, sharing what was happening that week, what we'd learnt, what was what was going well, what wasn't going well. Um, and that then evolved into, as, as most people did, more wacky, I suppose, type of Friday afternoon <laughs> drinks. Um, because there were birthdays or there were other things we needed to celebrate. Um, resulting in normally dressing up. Um, yeah, um, we actually had an online karaoke uh, where everyone got to pick a song and we all, you know, sung and danced to it. Um, can't do those sorts of things at work, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it worked really well. Yeah, my swimming crowd ended up doing a, tri- a triathlon of sit-ups and push-ups for <laughs> Hamish's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were probably keeping fit in lockdown. We were all um, expanding our waistlines, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by that time, we were allowed to swim in the harbour. 
so we did it was 52 so it was the choice between 520 press-ups or a five kilometer swim in the harbour in June so five of us did the swim in the harbour some of the people that did that 5k swim in the harbour are still scarred from that experience (laughs) wish they'd done the (laughs) sit-ups too late to change now (laughs) hopefully no one got scarred from our karaoke or (laughs) dress-ups We did share a few photos of our um, antics. But then I suppose we started to realise our students needed that socialising too. Um, so our support team here started the Thursday um, virtual bubble. So that's where students could come in. And it really was just, a, you know, what's happening out there? How are you going? And that kind of evolved into... Um, starting up little uh, competitions really and they could do that in groups as well so we we also used the breakout rooms to put them into little virtual bubbles and during the week they would uh, participate in these competitions and one of the ones was um, you know even design what you would do when you come out of your bubble where would you go in Auckland as as your bubble as your group Um, where would you like to go visit what would you do in that visit and that was really interesting. Obviously, Piha, Waiheke Island, those sorts of things came up. But I was really impressed with how much effort the students put into it. Um, you know, they, they did a full-on presentation. I thought, goodness <laughs> me, if this was an assignment, you know, at post-grad level, <laughs> you guys will do really, really well. Um, oh, we had cook, cooking competitions. So they also, you know, in their own homes, they, they cooked food and shared their recipes and their, their, their outputs. Um there was art competitions as well, so they actually had to create or draw something. Um, obviously, I didn't participate in that one. That would be <laughs> pack and save stick figure. Um, but it was really surprising to see how that started evolving as well. And students started to um, really feel that they were a part of something, whereas up till that time, although they were online learning and sharing with their classmates, it's very different to socialising and sharing your own personal experiences and feelings. There were also the standard questions like what's happening here, when are we going back, can we have this, can we do that. So there were a few um, queries from from students and normally a student would ask a question all the others you could see were, were probably thinking the same thing as well. And that was kind of a safe environment for them to to question what was going on. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou ko tahu hau. I hope you're all having a stay superstar and you're going to do music. And I'm hot wherever you are, whatever is happening around you. This journey all onto is proving to be very, very sustained and a loom for you, not much to who you are, nature's new and thank you. So as we all know, it's been a tumultuous trying for us all, but in the midst of this challenge, best aspects of ourselves, maybe some new one had encountered for have arrived to save the day. Help us. And whilst we've all had many ups and downs, hope you there's always hope in the form of our inner sanctuary and our inner reserves of knowledge. So in terms of my exciting universe at the moment, I'm so grateful that I've been asked to celebrate my heart's home, Autoportis. 
stunning for neat places, which is a Tourism New Zealand national pain. Fantastic. I had to choose 12 of my favourite aspects of my paradise life here. And so, of course, I had to choose many different parts of this fair biodiversity. And I divided them in three different groups. Stun Eden, so obviously our natural wonder. And I chose, of course, Orokanui Sanctuary. The beautiful par site, Huriawa Pa in Karatan. Absolutely glorious. Stunny Tanaka. And my favourite beat, Alan's Beat. And this is where I used to dream of flying back to Azkahu the Hawk when I was growing up over in Kay. And then my mum was pregnant and found a hawk and broke it on the road out to the beach. So it's a very powerful place. Really, really recommend visiting. So that was Stun Eden, but really the whole place is Stun. Then, of course, I had Yum Eden, all my favourite delicious restaurant. And Yum Eden is all about wonderful, key total, delicious, delectable fare. So I chose the amazing Jitsu Japanese restaurant. Stunning Prohibition Smoke. The beautiful, beautiful mocktails at Wolf Fayana. And the Italian meals on the seafront at St. Clair at the Esplanade. And then, of course, I had Fun Eden, so all the fun activities. And I chose, of course, the beautiful Otago Museum and the Tahuda Beautiful Science Space and all of the wonderful Matauraka Māori that has been intertwined and interwoven with Western thoughts. It's really fascinating and beautiful space. Also celebrated the tropical forest where of course there's the five metre wall, the thousands of beautiful butterflies. Also celebrate the stunning and public art gallery, its extensive collections and the hortary perspective which is on at the moment. Really, really, really love, of course, Dog with Two Tails and Bark. My band Tahu and the Takas love playing there. Talked about the wee train that zips around Bar track mounted up almost at the ceiling. And I also chose the amazing, 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 amazing beloved bar base, which as we all know has completely transformed. And I really recommend it to everyone. They come along and try a class and they come and book a one-on-one session to learn how to use these fantastic massage balls. You can release your whole body's massage balls. It's incredible. And of course, for all of these places, I'm very lucky, all these places that I've chosen have been filmed and everything like that. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to share my love for my home. So I really hope that for you, you're enjoying finding your favourite places and celebrating them. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks, I'm Kiki. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Cherie Freeman. You were talking before about students having questions about when is this all going to be over. And for the large part, we didn't know. No, we didn't. How did you, particularly in Auckland, when you had a bounce, it came back. How how did you maintain that sort of positive messaging when we, in fact, didn't know what was happening? Well, look, all we could do, obviously, was refer to um, what became a regular one o'clock viewing, didn't it, for all of us, um, was whatever the, the government was telling us. Behind the scenes, uh, prior to all of this happening, actually very early on in January, uh, EIT set up their ICT team, so that's the uh, institutical team. Um, and so we were also meeting behind the scenes, discussing what was coming out from the Ministry of Education and also the Ministry of Health. And we were also trying to predict as best we could what was happening or what was going to be coming at us um, so that we were as prepared as we could do. And we also worked collectively on the communication so that the message going out to the students and staff was consistent and, and really, really clear. Um, 
so that that's one thing I think that um, you know was critical during these times. You had to get the comms right, and you had to get them out quickly. Um, so we had often pre-prepared most of what we could for each each week or each day. Um, as we we started to prepare, we were in a level four for the level three. That became a little bit difficult further on down the path because remember EIT operates in Hawke's Bay, Tarawati, and around the East Cape area. Um, and then you've got us in Auckland, and as you pointed out, Auckland stayed in lockdown a little bit longer, and so we had to separate the comms. This is what's happening to the main campus, but we're still um, stuck in that lockdown mode. Um, so all we could all we could do was is again refer the students to um, the EIT comms, but also to Ministry website, Ministry of Health, which was a fantastic website um, to keep them posted, um, and really try to keep them calm and settled. And, and really just reassuring them that you know, New Zealand is doing well and everybody's well. We were very fortunate we didn't have any incidents of um, any of our students or staff contracting COVID. But whenever a student was concerned, we would certainly recommend they get tested. And we recorded that um, and then followed up and the result came back in. Uh, so we've got a wonderful record of, of all of the actions that we've done in this time at EIT through that ICT group. The Be Kind message... I can see would really easily translate, maybe in a literal sense of translate, but but work for international students. But the other part of the message, the, the team of five million, do you think they felt part of that team? We didn't actually ask them directly whether they felt included, but I think they did. They, they really saw themselves as, we're in New Zealand, we're part of this team, and we're going through it with everybody else in New Zealand. So they did feel very much part of of New Zealand and being a New Zealander. And again, comparing with what was happening in their own home countries, and unfortunately weren't coping quite as well. So they were quite relieved and thankful to be here. Um, The be kind message, I think that was even more important a bit later on. I think for students, most of our students work part-time, they're studying, um, and they need, they need to work part-time. A, it helps them settle into our communities and into New Zealand. Um, obviously, it helps them financially, um, but it also helps them with their studies because they can apply what they're experiencing in the workplace to what they're doing in their um, studies. So we had a lot of students that were in the critical or required services. So some of them work at supermarkets, so they were still required to go to work. Um, and we have a health science masters here. And students in the health science area um, actually have nursing and some are doctors, dentists, etc. Um, so they were working in the healthcare area. And immigration during that time, of course, said that if you're a central worker um, and an international student, you could work more than your 20 hours. Um, now, some of our students welcomed that opportunity. Um, others uh, didn't want to work more. They wanted to focus on their studies. But there was an element of fear because they were going out there. Most of us were stuck in our little bubbles. They were going out there on a daily basis and coming in contact with a number of people. And, of course, while this was happening, there were, quite a few, well, there were a couple of rest homes that were quite hard during that time. And, of course, we had a lot of students working in rest homes that were very concerned for their patients but also for themselves. So when it came time to look at coming back to campus there was a fear amongst staff and students that those that have been and continue to work in those high-risk areas mixing with with other with the rest 
And I think there was also a fear of just coming back full stop. Now, some of it was we got used to being at home. It's quite nice to just wake up in the morning and walk into the next room and you can start. We don't have to have the normal (laughs) Auckland one-hour commute here and back. Certainly for me, that was quite nice. Um, But I think there was also that fear. It's still out there and we don't know if we've got it all yet. Um, And as much as individually, we want to take individual responsibility. I don't want to pass it on to anybody else. Equally, I don't want to put myself into a situation that could um, contract it and pass it on. So, yeah, there was a, we must be kind. And um, that that was very, very clear around that time when it was looking like we're coming back and some people hadn't been stuck at home in little bubbles. In terms of teaching... What do you think is going to stick? Are there any things that we've embedded in practice? I don't think it's as simple as, well, we've learned how to use Zoom. It's something, you know, have we learned stuff about how we interact with students? Or We've had to go back to, some things have gone back to, to normal. We're having to get wholly dressed, not just the, the top <laughs> half of the body. What have we learned in that sense? Mm. So we very quickly realised that, like what you're doing here, we need to capture some of this information and see whether we can learn from these best practice and continue that. So during this time, we did quite a lot of student evaluations and collected as much data as we could around what went well and what didn't go so well, particularly from students who had, were returning, who'd been with us previously and experienced the, the normal face-to-face and had now experienced this purely online delivery. Uh, We then brought a group of students when we could, as soon as we could, we brought a group of students back on campus and we spent a whole day going through that whole experience and trying to work out what what were the good pieces that we wanted to keep going and what were the pieces that we were pretty quick to drop and get back to. We did it before with face-to-face. And we also did the same with staff. So we recognised that you know staff were also very key for this. Now, staff, particularly in Auckland, you know, obviously, again, enjoyed, enjoyed not having to have the commute. So when they didn't have classes, they could see the benefit of working from home. They could also see their productivity levels increase from working from home. Most people think you work from home, you, you don't do as much work. You know, you spend time doing other things around the house um, whilst, well, your boss isn't watching you. And that wasn't true at all. In fact, staff did more than what they would here. And obviously, when you're in a group like we now can be very distracting having other cokers around. So we learnt that um, you know flexible, true flexible for staff can be beneficial both for staff and the business. But equally that could transfer onto students. What we discovered as a result of that is prior to the lockdown we had face-to-face classes for four hours a week per course. Um, and that's a long time to be face-to-face entertaining, even though we're doing um, discussion groups and you know students are doing activities and then bringing their learning back into the, the large group. Um, so students and staff both agreed that breaking that into two lots of two hours would be beneficial, and having two hours of online first and then two hours of face-to-face would, on a separate day, be more beneficial for their learning. Um, so interestingly that both staff and students came up with a similar model even though they hadn't been involved in those discussions. So what we've done um, starting next year um, is we have moved to what we're calling the 2 plus 2 model, two hours of face-to-face. So we're going to get 50-50 I suppose, 50% of online and 50% of face-to-face. I suppose that, um, well if you're a, a betting person it's called a bob each way as my grandmother <laughs> used to call it. Um, Yeah, so we're still going to maintain those online skills with our team and our students, but we're also going to make sure we we have that contact and face-to-face. 
So looking forward to how that might work next year. Let's squeeze in Hotel California. Why this one? <laughs> oh, who doesn't like the Eagles? Um, I actually have a hospitality background. Uh, that's where I, I started in the work, workforce. Um, so I, I, I love the song. It's a great song to um, karaoke to, too, even if you're not a good singer. <laughs>
What does next year look like? Hmm. Well, I mean, we've just um, come into the end of our term four, um, and actually this is the only term in Auckland that we've actually been able to get back to -to face-to-face. So we've been delivering online the first three terms, and on the 27th of October is when we were actually able to come back face-to-face. So that's that's a very long time. Um, So next year, um, we're going to have the new delivery, which is... Two plus two, but we also recognise that we're not going to have the borders open, uh, not in the first half of the year anyway, and possibly not the second half. So our numbers are going to be a lot lower for us here in Auckland, particularly. Uh, interesting, of course, for domestic students, that's that's gone the other way. There's been an increase, mm-hmm. and that often happens in the tertiary sector. Um, so for us, it is around uh, looking at how we can best look after those students that we currently have. There are students that are in New Zealand currently that are looking to continue their learning, um, so go, moving on to post-grad study, so that is keeping us busy. Um, but we are also we have also developed an offshore online delivery mode. Uh, so we've taken the learnings from the lockdown and recognised that what we did there was, was very, very good, and our students were very happy, and in fact the pass rates also show that our students Students did very, very well. But when you're delivering to an audience that's not in New Zealand, um, the amount of information and the source of that information is going to be very different to how we were doing it during the lockdown. So we've spent quite a lot of time in the second half of this year developing our courses for a very different audience through this um, online medium. That's been a really steep learning curve because actually developing resources for online delivery offshore is very, very different to how we would normally mm-hmm. package and deliver our learning. And for staff, that's also been a very steep learning curve. Um, just as they've had to go through a very quick uh, turnaround to online learning, online so I need to clarify, what we did during the lockdown was a online face-to-face learning, just using Zoom or Skype to, to deliver, but then started to realise we needed to do things a little bit differently. What we're going to be doing offshore is going to be very, very different to that. Um, it, it, it's exciting, um, and I think the what we can see is our students here in New Zealand are obviously going to benefit from that because they're going to have a very, very rich source of um, resources more than what we've previously had to assist them with their learning. So we're pretty excited about that. It's certainly a case of disruption prompting innovation. A- absolutely, absolutely. And it does, you know, make you think, you know, what is five years going to look like? Mm. If we can actually, yeah, well, you can deliver it like this. Other, other countries do it. Um, other providers do it very, very well. What we've recognised here at EIT is... Uh, it will be a crowded market that, that um, online offshore delivery because everybody's going to, mm. to do it. Um, you know, we're not different in any way there, but we will have to be a little bit more unique in how we do this. What we are able to do, and what we have learnt from this lockdown, is that connectivity with the students and creating this um, community of learning, and that community has to have a very New Zealand tikanga approach. That, I think, is going to be the real difference. So if you're not in New Zealand and studying through EIT, we need to make them feel like they are part of the, the one team, five million. Mm-hmm. And that's something we've learnt through the lockdown, how to do that. Um, and we're, we're excited to, to move into this next phase and see how we can deliver that, as we hope to, with a very, very, very unique experience. We've seen lots of societal changes over the last 
few months, dreading the day I have to say year. <laughs> what do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick? Well, look, for us in Auckland and uh, this big, long commute, uh, I'd, I'd like to see more a, a more flexible work environment across a wide range of um, areas, not just for education. It just doesn't make sense that people actually have to come to a, a physical space to deliver their outputs. I think that's, for some, that's going to be really challenging. It requires, obviously, a huge amount of trust and a very close relationship between leaders and their teams. But I, I do hope that that, that is more prevalent, uh, mainly because when I'm driving to work, if I have to drive to work, there'll be less cars for me to have to <laughs> deal with <laughs> on the motorway. Um, I, I do hope that you, we can see a big shift change even for, for learning. I don't think we've, we've had that. I've been in education now for over 20 years. Um, so I even started when there was just one computer in an office and no one actually even used it. You know, even overhead projectors were quite a snazzy invention at the time. Um, so I think this is this is a chance for us to make a big step change. And I hope that we become a global, a more globally connected educational environment. We have been quite competitive across, not just here in New Zealand, but across the borders. I'd hope that this experience will see us start to become a lot more collaborative. Tipuking is going to help us with the, the ITP sector, obviously, here in New Zealand. Uh, but I'd like to see that move across countries as well. As long as it doesn't get in the way of innovation. Of course, of course. That's going to be the, the challenge. You're talking about global effects there. Do you think there are any lessons in this for the bigger, longer-term challenges we face, climate change and social inequity? What can we take from how we've responded? Yeah, Um well, we'd hope that there would be those sorts of benefits. Um, uh, obviously, with less cars on the road, that obviously helps the <laughs> environment. Um, but yeah, I think people have become more mindful of that too. It's become more front of mind. Um, and that's also playing out in uh, consumer choice, isn't it? They're, they're now wanting to see that uh, whoever they deal with buy from um, uh, are also thinking and applying that to their organisation. Um I think that, yeah, we're just going to want to be able to do things differently, to innovate, have the freedom to innovate, um, with the, the goal not of making more money, but of making things better for everybody. Um, and that, that's really, I think, a, a tagline for New Zealand, isn't it? And we have kaitiakitanga. Uh, that's more than just looking after the planet. It's looking after the people and society and communities as well. So let's hope that this is going to be that step change that is going to make us think more about that and more about each other than just us individually. If that's the outcome, then that's a good outcome. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time to do them, so we'll have to rattle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? The willingness of the team to innovate and accept change, and really quickly. Once you've got a team that can pivot, um, adapt, um, change, um, accept, not always agree, um, then you've got the ingredients to really make a difference. And that's what we've managed to do, unfortunately, through a difficult time. But we've got a very creative, innovative, adaptive team. And we've got to keep them together. Who will presumably and hopefully be able to 
change and innovate with the next disruption, whatever that might be? Well, even if there isn't a disruption, they're constantly wanting to change now. <laughs> they're coming up with great ideas. Um, all I have to do is, is obviously enable those ideas to, to actually happen. Um, and I think what we've also discovered is not to be afraid to fail. You know, when, we, when we're moving really quickly and innovating really quickly, sometimes we will make mistakes. Um, obviously, we don't want to make too many of them. Um, we don't want to make big mistakes, but we can learn from them really quickly. And because we can adapt and change as we see that happening, we can quickly um, respond and turn that into a positive. And I think the trick in education is to do that innovation with the eye totally on the best experience for every learner because we can't fail those individual learners if we have to do the best for them but somehow have a structure that we're able to innovate around that absolutely um look one, one of the things we we set up before covid and we didn't realize at the time how valuable it was going, valuable it was going to be is we set up a student rep group but that student rep group had governance over this campus so they had the ability and they were given the opportunity to decide on the important decisions that I had to make as the campus director. Um, Being truly student-led, that's literally putting the campus in the hands of students, was amazing. Um, And that certainly helped us to create a a really positive learning experience. And it it was surprising what they were needing, I I hadn't even thought of. And there isn't candy floss machines on (laughs) every corner. (laughs) No, look, they, 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 interestingly, the things they wanted... Well, one of the things they wanted was actually to, to have more tikanga, more Māori um, and akitanga um, included in their learning. Uh, so as soon as we got out of the second lockdown, um, I think that was on the 10th of August, well, we got out of lockdown but before that, but on the 10th of August we actually took two busloads of students down to Tōmai, thank you to our friends down there, um, Bart Voss, um, and, and we did a marae visit um, and experienced it um, from... Manakitanga visitor point of view uh, and we got to meet their international students which was wonderful so um, it was a long time coming but we eventually did that and that certainly set the scene. I got distracted from rattling through my questions yes, really I'm going to have to be quick and I shall stop asking side questions we're writing a book of these conversations it's called Tomorrow's Heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you are in the team thank you what's the superpower that's got you into the mansion servant leadership I served all of my team, well I'd like to think I served, I gave my team the support, the autonomy, um, the praise, the encouragement to just do what they thought was right and they did perfectly every time. (laughs) All I had to do was say yes (laughs) and let it happen. Magic. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? No, no, I'd rather... Uh, hopefully do the right thing and encourage others to do the same. What motivates you? My team, they're amazing and we are a very strange bunch of individuals but collectively we make a phenomenal group of people and we can make amazing things happen. I would go so far as to say almost the impossible Um, and we make it look easy. Uh, It's not, it's a lot of work. Um, And of course my students. I cut Māori this is my whenua. I love New Zealand. I couldn't imagine leaving my country and going to study somewhere else without my family there to support me. And yet that's what they've done. Um, I'm inspired by them. Um, and I'm very fortunate to be a part of their journey. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? 
Look, continually innovating, continually improving, doing things better, better for our students, better for our team, and better for the organisation. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Look, we've all been through this together, and I'm sure you've all done amazing things. Um, Many of you would have done exactly what I've done, um, how I've done it. And I just acknowledge you for for what you've done and what you've contributed to making New Zealand such a success during this very, very unusual time that we've been through. Well done to you all. Thank you very much for that. We're going out to Jingle Bells this week. Let's go out to The Vamps. their safe spaces around the world. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had a contribution today from Tahu Mackenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in central Auckland with Sherry Freeman. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.